You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from MMAJunkie.com. In USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Ben, uh, we had a little bit of uh, breaking news earlier today, uh, which actually occurred before we sat down to record the podcast. Which yeah, that is, trend uh, is, is starting to swing the other way. I like it. That's right. They're, people are starting to tee us up now more than they are waiting for the podcast to appear online before they drop their best nuggets of breaking news. Which I assume they're doing intentionally out of respect for the CME. That's right, yeah. People have finally learned their lesson. Yeah. Uh, this this week, uh, today, in fact, Chris Lieben uh, announced his retirement on the MMA Fortnite with, with Ariel Helwani. Uh, Lieben is a guy who, who we've both been positive about in the past. We've both had positive feelings about him. Uh, I guess it's sad to see him go, but also feel like maybe he's getting out of the sport at the right time. Right. And also uh, get some extra daps from us for being one of the few fighters to visit Missoula, Montana. That's true. uh, And really do it up big while he was here. Yes. Floated the river. Went to the wingery and ate, ate about 45 wings. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, as I recall, you know, stayed out late, went drink for drink with us, which seemed to wreak a lot more havoc on us than it did on him. Yep. Uh, that was just another day at the office for Lieben back in those days. Even even showed us a little bit of jiu-jitsu. Came down to the local jiu-jitsu club, showed us some moves, and to my surprise at the time, turned out to be a pretty good instructor because it seemed like Chris Liebman was just a straight-up tough guy. So now when he talks about how he's transitioning from being a fighter to doing more coaching, I'm kind of optimistic about how that will go. Yeah, no, you're right. That uh, that that, and this we should mention this. This was like right after he got off the first Ultimate Fighter. This was it's like 2005. This was a while ago, uh, and he came here at the behest of a friend of ours to do a uh, a seminar. Uh, at one of the local schools, and and I guess because of the way he had been portrayed on the Ultimate Fighter, we weren't quite sure what to expect. But as you said, it, he turned out that he was actually uh, a fairly adept teacher, and uh, seemed like he was actually really good at it. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe since then we we've had uh, positive feelings with him and and positive dealings with him when the when the situations arose. And uh, I guess uh, we wish him well in transitioning to his new phase of life, which I hope is uh, is uh, successful for him. And it does feel like the right time to be doing this. Although another tough one alum drops off. Uh, we're all kind of looking at you, Diego Sanchez. Wondering what you're going to do, buddy. Yeah, how many of those guys are left? Is it just Diego? Who's, well, who else Mike is out Swick there? has never officially retired, I That's don't right. think. But, you know, he's been he's been absent a little while. What about Josh Rafferty? Is he still? I'll have to look into that. Chris Sanford. Yeah, going I'm gonna, strong. I'm gonna. I'll get back to you. Uh, that's all the the obscure guys I can remember. From. Bobby Southworth. Bobby Southworth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Ben, this week's music for the Co-Main Event Podcast comes to us from listener Lucas Cattell and from the artist Tay Off the Top and Lukey the Producer, who I assume is, is Lucas Castell, who emails the podcast frequently, uh, and from their album T-O-T-T, Top of the Twomps. And, uh, what the fuck? He included the note with this email that said, East Oakland artists, real deep East Oakland, you know what it is. <laughs> I have no idea no, what it I is. I actually don't know what it but is. But I look forward to hearing it nonetheless. It is, it is actually really good. And uh, uh, 
I, I, I do know that if you like what you hear, you can get to him through his Twitter account at, at Lukey Boxing, L-U-K-I-E, the word boxing. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about it because it actually is, uh, his professional stuff, man. It's, it's, he's, you know, it's not some, it's some amateur stuff like yeah. we put between rounds when I'm doing it. Right. Well, and you know, I'm glad we're finally getting into some deep Oakland stuff. Yeah. We've of- really, we've, we've more than just scratched the surface in terms <laughs> right. of like our offerings from East Oakland hip hop artists on this show. Three rounds, as usual, this week from the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Luke Rockhold kicked Costas Philippou right in the digestive system last Wednesday night and then promptly called out a couple of guys who already have fights scheduled. So better late than never, I suppose. And in round number two, call me crazy, but I feel like retired George St. Pierre might be my favorite George St. Pierre ever. And in round number three... Bendo, the punk, Gonzaga, and Stipe. Stipe! That's your main and co-main for this Saturday's UFC on Fox 10 card, but I don't know, man. To me, it sounds like it could also be a pretty awesome sitcom. Maybe they all live in an apartment and own like a bed and breakfast together, and it's hilarious, but it also has heart. Like, we all learn a valuable lesson every week from 6 to 6.30, right before Airwolf and Riptide come on. Stipe! <laughs> Stipe! All that plus Master Tweet Theater, are you fucking kidding me, and just saying stuff, but right now, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us from our old friend Brady Carlson. He writes, man, I'm with Patricio Pitbull Fer- Ferrer. How do you say their last name? Ferrer? I always screw it up. Sure, that's close Ferrer. enough. Nobody expects much from you. Right. <laughs> Fuck Bellator. Title shots are earned, not given. Bullshit. Dude earned his shot, and goddamn Bellator is going to give Pat Kern a free pass to try to beat the guy who clearly beat him and took his title. The fight that Mr. Kern and Mr. Ferrer had was way closer than the bout between Mr. Kern and Daniel Strauss, but he no-get a rematch. Why they fuck Patricio? Why they do that? <laughs> I like the energy of this one. See, I really, I feel yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's a lot of energy. This would have been a good one for me to look up Patricio Pitbull's name before we went on the air to try to figure <laughs> out how to pronounce it. But well, okay, that is one that I mean, a lot of people looked at that fight and were like, okay, not only is it really given the lie to the old title shots are earned, not given uh, situation, but I don't know that anybody is super stoked to see another. Curran Strauss fight. Yeah, it was one of the fights that kind of sucked the air out of that big Bellator show that we all tuned in to watch on Spike TV. Uh, And if not for the awesomeness of Eddie Alvarez against Michael Chandler, too, uh, it might have turned into a real stinker of an event. Uh, But but uh, luckily, we had those guys around to to come in there and and raise our spirits. Now, I know this is making a lot of people mad, but but if I'm not mistaken, didn't Bellator institute an official rule last year that said if the champion lost his title, they could give him him an immediate rematch instead of making him go all the way back through the tournament again? Yes, they could do that. I think they did create that rule so that they could do that. I don't know about that they had to. That might have something to do. I don't know if Curran has a rematch clause on his contract or something along those lines. Um, It just seems like unnecessary, I think, is the the response. But, okay, fine. I I mean, I guess if Pitbull's going to get his shot uh, eventually, you could say, "Hey, you still earned the title shot." Or something, you know, it's still not a, a a situation where it's given instead of earned. But it does. I mean, it, to me, it seems like the worst thing for Bellator is when shit like this happens, and their fighters get really pissed off, and you know, run and go and, and bash them publicly. Uh, and 
like the more that happens, the more this narrative gets solidified in people's minds that Bellator is just a hostage situation for its top fighters. That's, I think, the the, the most dangerous part for them. Yeah, they don't. They definitely don't want that uh, perception to get around any more than it already has. And it has. It has gotten around. Yeah, it does seem weird. It seems like they just constantly make the exact wrong PR move, right, in whatever situation that they're in. And isn't some of this at least a uh, an offshoot of them still trying to stick with the with the tournament format, which I felt had like had sort of run its course and and outlived its usefulness with Bellator like two years ago. Uh, I think when you know when the promotion first started, it was like kind of a nice little angle for them to have uh, uh, to have this sort of tournament set up because God knows everyone in the sports world and everyone in in MMA specifically uh, is into tournaments. Uh, and so it seemed like a nice little hook for Bellator, but I feel like they've kind of, you know, the, the promotion at large has, has grown away from that or has gotten bigger than that kind of like, we know what it is now. It shouldn't have to, uh, shackle itself to this tournament format. But without the tournament, what is it? Then it's just the clear, like number two to the UFC, like without any real, well, it's like, that hook. anyway, man. Yeah, but at least with the tournament, it's like, okay, we're doing something that you don't see everywhere else. Like, we're not just doing the same thing everybody else does, but slightly shittier and with, like, you know, lesser known fighters. Like, the tournament thing gives you a certain appeal that you don't have. Like, hey, for one thing, that pure sport angle they like to push. Like, we're not, you know, selecting superstars and figuring out who to pump up, even though they are totally doing that. Uh, but it allows them to say, you know, hey, this is more of a legitimate sport. Hey, whoever is the best will find out in this tournament structure. And then, you know, if they become our champion and we decide we don't like how they fight, we'll just let them walk away like Ben Askren. See, I just think it opens up the the uh, the, the 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 lane to for more criticism for them. And if you're do if you're doing matchmaking in the correct way, like you're kind of having a tournament anyway, but you just don't have a bracket out there published so everyone knows when you fuck with it. Which is kind of <laughs> like true. it's that's one of the things that everyone doesn't like about Bellator. Uh, well, I also feel that the when you have a bunch of fighters that people don't know, the tournament gives you the advantage of like it's very clear what everybody is fighting for and what the situation is and, and who's lined up where. Otherwise, it's fighter A versus fighter B every week, and nobody has any idea who these guys are or what the hell the point is. It's still the, still the point. Uh, <laughs> next, the next piece of mail this week comes from Gavin Devlin. He writes, it was a relief that someone called out Donald Cerrone for his overeating. Clown boy. But should Cole Miller have stuck to his original call out of Colin McGoober? Seems like that fight makes more sense with the UFC aiming to give Conor McGregor a headline uh, fight in Dublin this year. Now, let's let's talk about this Cole Miller thing because uh, Cole Miller seems like has made the decision he's going to be a guy that makes people at least, or he's going to be a guy who tries to make people want to watch him, right? He's going to call some motherfuckers out. Well, he looked awesome in yeah. his last fight. In his last two fights, he's looked really good. And I, I was sitting there after uh, he, he beat Sam Cecilia in this one and thinking like, oh man, I can't wait till, till Cole Miller gets the mic. You know he's going to go all in on uh, Colin McGruber, whoever that is. Uh, like I was sure that he was going to do it again. And then when he set up his whole thing, like, there's a guy out there. You all know who he is. And we were like, yeah, call him McGruber. And then he goes off on Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is not in the same division and has a fight this goddamn week. Like, what? What? Huh? Come on, man. I thought the whole Colin McGruber thing was awesome. I thought that was working. I mean, it was a little bit. You were 
tweaking the guy's name for the sake of humor a little too much to the point where it was. Well, we da- didn't know who you were talking <laughs> we're about. In, we were in danger first. of not recognizing who you meant. But I thought it was great. He could keep on that one. And it's like if you keep on calling out the same dude, it just like builds momentum. And the more that that dude doesn't fight you, the more, uh, you know, he looks like he's scared and he's running away from you, even if the dude is hurt. Uh, but to call out a dude in a completely different division and a guy who shows up looking ripped at the weigh-ins and talk about how he's overeating. And you're like, man, I don't I just don't see that one, man. Well, I do agree with you that calling out Colin McGoober is a good thing to do, especially since McGoober is a guy who himself calls out so many other fighters that it kind of puts him in a situation where he has to respond to you if you're right. Cole Miller. Uh, I, I'm not totally against the idea of calling out Clown Boy Cerrone uh, because uh, uh, those guys have beef that goes back years, I think, uh, has something to do with uh, Leonard Garcia also. Uh, but uh, th- those guys have not liked each other for a long time. I know that they've both uh, kind of made gestures at each other, like that they wanted to fight. And, and, and uh, Cerrone has talked about going down uh, to featherweight, if need be, to fight Cole Miller. So it's not it wasn't totally out of the blue if you've been following the thread, I guess. Uh, uh, and, you know, Cerrone might still be a, a bigger name than, than Conor McGregor anyway, uh, if you're going to call somebody out on your Cole Miller. What I want to know is, who do you think in Cole Miller's inner circle is responsible for coming up with these these nicknames for other fighters? Because I, I don't think it's the fighter himself, do you? I would totally believe that it's the fighter. I think that they're all sitting in a circle after jits practice and somebody's like, Hey, Hey man, clown boy Cerrone. What do you think about that? So you're saying you think that that's the nickname that has been vetted by like a a group? (laughs) Like that, that's the one that everybody agreed. That's the one that passed muster. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm, I'm just waiting, uh, until he calls out Alan Belcher next or, you know, he's just going to keep going up and, and wait until we find, find a taker. Alan Felcher. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that one for free, That's Cole free, Miller. free, Cole Miller. Uh, the next uh, piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Darcy LeDrew. He writes, with GSP and Anderson Silva gone, at least temporarily, Dana White has begun hailing Henan Barrow as perhaps the best MMA fighter actively competing today. Are you with me on my are you fucking kidding me? He has an impressive win streak but hasn't uh, fought significant UFC quality competition for very long at all. Is this a backhanded? Is this a backhanded John Jones or Jose Aldo? I think that one's record only means something when they represent, or when they rep. I think that one's record only means something when they represent elite fighters. Tons of fighters amass twenty and five records, then get into the UFC and flunk out. This did not happen to Barrow, of course, who's a great champion. But at the same time, those twenty-five or so fights he had in Brazil do not mean that he is better than Bones Jones. I did think that this was weird and a little bit out of the blue when when Dana White said this. Uh, I think during the UFC Fight Night thirty-five post-fight scrum, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, it was out of the blue. I guess you're entitled to that opinion because Henan Barrow, as we all know, is a monster. He's a monster. And does have like an insane win streak. But at the same time, when I heard him say that, I did think that it was a little bit of an elbow to the ribs of, of John Jones, uh, who what Dana White obviously has clashed, clashed with in the past, uh, and a guy who, uh, who, you know, is not always, uh, on the same page with the UFC. I, I, I feel like now with, with George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva gone, maybe he was trying to send a, like a, a, a tacit message. I don't know. You know, I didn't interpret it that way so much as I did think it was a, one of those examples, and this happens from time to time, where Dana White overestimates his ability to just say stuff and have that narrative take hold. 
to j- like especially one that serves his purposes like oh shit Dominic Cruz isn't going to be coming back all right I guess Henan Brow is our guy we really got to got to kind of put all our weight behind that one okay now we'll say he's got to win this one fight against the guy he already beat and then he's pound for pound great uh I don't know. It seemed like a, where he thought that maybe he could just throw that out there, say it you know, vehemently enough, and people would start believing it or at least start having a, a serious conversation about it. Well, too, too in, his, in his defense, that does usually work. Yeah, and, and I think that that's what, a situation where this time he just thought like, okay, do I need to do that thing I do here? Okay, and then and start to get uh, everybody talking about Barrow as one of the pound-for-pound greatest. All right, I'll do that thing. And this time people are like, wait, what? Are we, you're, you're talking about Hen Barrow? Really? With John Jones in the round? You still talking about him around? Really? And I think that's what happened there. Well, more on that tendency from the UFC president later in today's show. <laughs> uh, the last piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Jason Bauman. He writes, I just got done watching the latest offering from the World Series of Fighting, which turned out to not be shitty, which is always a plus. I usually only watch these events because I'm a degenerate gambler, but tonight actually tickled my fancy as a fight fan. Anthony Johnson is a Richard Simmons VHS tape away from being a legit threat to anyone at 205. I'd love to see him back in the UFC before he gets old enough to start going to Vitor Belfort's doctor. Uh, Jessica Aguilar is obviously the best lady at 115, and it's a shame that she won't get a chance to live in a house with a bunch of other ladies and smell their farts for a few weeks to get a chance at the UFC belt. I don't know how good either one of those guys in the main event were, but they sure could bang, bro. I thought that the ref stopped it early, but probably only because I'm kind of a psychopath. What are your thoughts on the event, and why is it that every time someone outside the UFC does well, it's my instant inclination to want to see them in the UFC? Do you suffer from the same syndrome? Yeah, I I understand that syndrome, and I I don't think that it's completely uh, wrong in all cases. I, I think that there's some reason, for that, especially in a guy like Anthony Johnson, right, who was in the UFC, had all those weight-cutting problems, uh, was, and you know, now that you see the success he's having at higher weight classes, you think, Jesus Christ, you, you really used to be a welterweight? How were you thinking, man? Uh, and, I mean, for one thing, let's not make too much of it when he goes and knocks out Mike Kyle, who you go and you look at his record recently, it's not too great. I mean, he's lost three of his last four, you know, his, his wins uh, recently over guys like Travis View and you know, people you've never heard of, stuff like that. So it's not like it means a whole hell of a lot to beat Mike Kyle. Still an impressive, you know, you knock a dude out with one punch and put him face down on the mat, looks good for you. Uh, but yeah, it does the first thing you think is, okay, maybe it's time now for Anthony Johnson to get brought back into the fold. And I'm saying that's probably just going to be how it is for World Series of Fighting. Like that it's a place where if you do really well there, then we could see you graduating to the UFC. But I mean, that has to be pretty much the ceiling of the expectation for World Series of Fighting. It's never going to be a thing like where somebody's wondering, hey, that guy looks really good in the UFC, but I wonder if he could hang in World Series of Fighting. Never going to happen. Yeah, I think that that's our natural inclination with any smaller second-tier MMA uh, promotion. I mean, we uh, we have the same feeling, I think, about Michael Chandler uh, and guys like Pat Curran over in Bellator, it's just that World Series of Fighting is a place where you can go compete and not have to worry about being actively blackballed, I think, from going to to fight in the UFC or, at the very least, get involved in some kind of uh, 
contract dispute with your with your employer. Uh, and Anthony Johnson, he he did look good, I guess, against Mike Kyle. But I think I would echo your comments in that I don't know what knocking Mike Kyle out truly means in the landscape of of the of MMA period. I mean, you mentioned that Kyle's has not had a great record uh, recently, and I think he's been knocked out pretty pretty uh, decisively by other guys uh, leading up to this fight. Um, so I'm not sure that that meant a lot to me when I saw Anthony Johnson get that win. My first thought was that he would make an incredible and exciting addition to the Bellator cruiserweight division. Uh, I was kind of surprised at the number of people that were like, had him already ticketed for a return to the UFC on Twitter after that happened. But I mean, I guess that that's the natural, uh, the natural inclination. I just don't know, uh, if I'm 100% buying Anthony Johnson as a dude who needs to be reckoned with at this point, yeah, I mean, well, he's certainly a good fighter. I just don't know if you, if you ask me who I was most excited about uh, coming into the UFC, I don't know that I would immediately think of Anthony Johnson. Right. Well, one of the things I think that uh, is both like something you can depend on about world series of fighting cards at this point and something though, that it has to be kind of considered somewhat of a knock on them is they do not seem scared to put together a a lopsided fight to help showcase a guy who they realize is one of like you know a, a really good talent that can serve them well uh and you know i think that uh that the main event there justin gaethje and uh richard petitionock uh i mean that's one where everybody was pretty excited about gaethje coming into this Looks like he's going to go out there and murder the dude, which is pretty much exactly what he does. And I don't know. There's a certain appeal to that for MMA fans. The way like Strike Force sometimes would do that when they needed a you know exciting card and they put together some squash matches where you knew some dudes were just going to get knocked out, and then they did, and it was fun and everything. But I don't know if that's really what we want out of the sport long term. Uh, it does seem like World Series of Fighting is do- doing some of that. That said, you know they'll put on some some fun fight cards. Uh, that uh, are, are worth DVRing and then going back whenever you get a chance. It's the kind of thing where, you, you know, you don't need to rearrange your life around it, but there's going to be some stuff worth seeing. And I, I do have feel the same sentiment about uh, Jessica Aguilar. Damn shame that she signed that contract before the UFC made that announcement. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern to air to the co-main event podcast, you can do that by going to our website, comainevent.com and clicking the link in the top right hand corner that says email the podcast. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The turnip is real. Light up. I don't know, but to me he seemed irritated. Thought he was living that thug life, maybe couldn't take it. Hold up, his brother just got slain. He know where the niggas from. He ready to bang bang. No time in the other cheek. When you turning in them seats, like damn, can't even sleep. Only been gone a week. You only think of the slaughter, so all of these boys sheep. Now whenever you in the streets, niggas look at you awkward. Hey, I know the feeling those hustles come. Well, Ben, Luke Rockhold finally gave the performance that I think we'd all been expecting from him when he came over with the rest of the plunder. Uh, from Strike Force at the beginning of last year. Um, and I think uh, Costas Philippou is the sort of guy that Rockhold probably should tear through, uh, though this was a win that he pretty much absolutely needed to have, if for no other reason than to prove to us that he was indeed the guy that we thought he was back when he was the Strike Force champion. Uh, what did you think about the way that uh, Luke Rockhold looked here? Yeah, like you, I expected him to, to beat a guy like Philippou, uh, but he looked awesome, man. You know, and just from start to finish, uh, 
gave him a chance to actually get in there and do something other than get kicked in the head uh, like he did against Vitor uh, and to kind of show people that uh, you know maybe weren't familiar with his run through strike force that there's more to him than that and when that guy gets going he can do a lot of things really well no glaring weaknesses you know the kind of guy that you can get excited about as a middleweight and has that you know kind of uh, finisher's mean streak in him uh, when he sees the opening uh, man especially when you see a dude get TKO'd by a body shot. I don't know what it is. For some reason, it's like you see a guy get hit on the chin, his lights get turned out. It's like, a, you know, this involuntary reaction that a lot of us who, you know, haven't really been there cannot really relate to. But something about seeing a guy just get kicked in the body to where he's just like, nope, I'm going to take a knee here. Uh, like, you feel that dude's pain, I think, as, as a dude sitting on the couch a lot more than a lot of the other stuff we see in MMA. Yeah, and I think that it underscores just how much that must hurt. Yeah. Because every time it happens, I, I always think, well, these guys are professional fighters. Yeah. These, this is not me out there. <laughs> like, if I would crumple from a single leg kick, if you kicked me in my thigh, I would fall over and cry. Yeah. These are but the same these, dudes who are saying, like, you'll have to kill me, I'll never quit. Yes, and these, and the, these guys occasionally get kicked in the, in the stomach, in the midsection, and literally bread cannot basket. continue, right in the bread basket, yeah. the solar plate. Texas. Uh, and it made me think of uh, last year when Brandon Thatch uh, knocked out or made Paulo Tiago tap out with a body shot. And right. That was one. Where I was, that's yeah. where I was one where I was like, this guy was uh, like a member of the paramilitary police in Brazil. He got paid to go to slums and like have shootouts with drug dealers. And this other dude just made him quit by kneeing him right in the right where he lives, right there in the digestive system. <laughs> You know, so you know that it, like it's not it's nothing to joke about, man. Right. That shit must hurt. Which, yeah, and also like you know what made me think of is when Travis Brown uh, was getting beat up on by Alistair Overeem, and that's what put him down. I think right was a, a knee to the body, like in the clinch, uh, and it had that same kind of effect where it was just like, oh god, uh, and he just dropped, but then pulled it together, got back up, survived the onslaught, and then kicked Overeem right in his face. Came back and won that fight somehow. Seeing stuff like that makes it more impressive when a guy like Travis Brown can come back from something like that. I, I agree with you. And I think that this was a performance that, like you said, reminded us of how good Luke Rockhold can be and how good that he looked in, in his the end of his strike force career, which I guess a lot of people didn't see. But I feel like the you know, the spinning kick from Belfort uh, being on the wrong end of of what probably would have been the knockout of the year uh, under different circumstances made people forget that. Uh, you know, Rockhold had come in off three straight wins over Tim Kennedy, Keith Jardine, and Jacare Souza. Like, he, you know, he fought some of the tougher guys that were available to fight in Strike Force and then comes over to the UFC with, with all this hype behind him and, uh, immediately has hit fizzle because he gets kicked in the face and then suffers an injury that kind of delays his return. Uh, but he's a, he's an enormous, uh, middleweight. He guy's six foot three. He's rangy. He has a lot of, uh, a lot of reach. He moves well. I believe he's a left-hander, uh, and there's something a little bit unorthodox about him, about the way that that he goes about it, um, and and is the, a guy who's capable of finishing people with with kicks to the body. Uh, he so he seems like a guy that uh, we will want to see more from in the middleweight division. Uh, and it was a thing with from Costas Philippou where he was kind of doing that thing because he got hit. You know, he got dropped early with a right hook and then uh, accepted a number of kicks and knees to the midsection. And it was sort of like a situation where he was doing, th doing the thing where he was like, I'm all right. I'm all right. 
I'm, I'm no longer all right now. <laughs> As of this moment, I am not all right. Here's, here's you know what he needed? He needed somebody like Matt Sarah in his corner to tell him to remember to breathe. That's right. But because he left the Sarah Longo camp, he didn't have that guy. That's right. Telling him he'd been there a thousand times before. Remember to breathe. Something else You're that I breathing, Costa. Something else I wanted to bring up about Costas Philippou, which I think you just you just referenced. When did we decide that we were going with the first name Costas for this guy? Because I my previous recollections were always that it was Costa yeah. without an S, and then he shows up at this at this UFC, and and suddenly he's he's Costas. Well, it does seem like the UFC is known to like take some liberties with dudes' names, right? That ju- that just happens sometimes, and especially like sometimes with like the Brazilian dudes. And I get it; those are tough because it's like they'll they'll have a nickname that's basically replaces their last name, like Honey Jason, and you're just like, all right. At some point, though, we need you, the organization, his employer. What are you putting on the guy's checks? You know, what What does it say uh, on the, the 1099 that you hand him at the end of the year? Uh, like, let's go by that. Let, let us be the ones to, like, colloquially adopt the nickname. Stuff like that where you're just like, okay, so what's what's this guy's name going to be tonight? Just I guess we'll just wait and see. I started to wonder if maybe he left Sarah Longo over their refusal to call him Costas. <laughs> like, if, if they're not going to get my name right, I'm going to go up the street and train at this other place. Yeah. If it's not as good. Yeah, I I demand to be called uh, Thor, the God of Thunder, and if if my if my coaches can't respect that, then I need to find some new coaches. Our, so Luke Rockhold wins this fight, knocks out Costas Philippou, uh, and then immediately runs to the corner and and gets all in the face of the cameraman there and says that he wants Vitor Belfort, and then follows that up in his post fight interview with John Anik. Uh, by saying, reiterating that he wants to fight Belfort, saying that he wants it to happen in America, which was clearly a little... Uh, a little TRT jab. Yep, a little jab there. And then uh, followed that up immediately by saying that he would fight as many guys as he had to to, to get that rematch with Belfort, especially Michael Bisping. Well, it's not a middleweight fight if you don't call Michael Bisping out. I end. felt like that was the first misstep of the Lou Rockhold coming out party was for him to to uh, cheapen the experience by calling out Michael Bisping. That's yeah. a that's a rite of passage. Calling out Michael Bisping is something you you do when you don't have anybody else to call out. You've already got Vitor Belfort, man. You don't need to become the one millionth guy to call out Michael Bisping on a UFC broadcast. What do you think is, is Michael Bisping like at home watching these fights and like when Luke Rockhold is like, all right, and I want Vitor and I want him in America, and Bisping's like, all right, looks like we're gonna get through Dodge one here, yeah, and then he says, and I'll fight Michael. God, God damn it. Can't we just, just one, just one middleweight who doesn't want to call out Michael Bisping? And the thing is, people always want to do that, and there's a pretty good chance that Bisping's going to beat you. I mean, I think everybody, like, they look at him from afar, and they think, like, that's a dude I can totally beat, and, like, he's famous, so, like, it'll give you a good bump. You know, you'll you'll get a good spot on the card if you're fighting Michael Bisping. Maybe you fight him in London, you're in the main event, or something, some crap like that. Uh, and they think that it's going to be an easier fight, but, I mean... At this point, can't we look at Bisping's record and tell that the dude can fight a little bit? Everybody wants to pick on that guy. Yep, everyone wants to call up Michael Bisping until he punches you a thousand times in your face over the course of 15 minutes, and you can never quite find the home for that big right hand that you're right. trying to land yeah. the entire time. Uh, well, at this point, it seems like Michael Bisping is going to fight Tim Kennedy in April. Uh, at least that's that's the rumor. However, if you're the UFC and you have a chance to do Bisping Rockhold instead, does that make more sense? No, I mean, I think that 
Tim Kennedy is going to going to work his ass off to sell this one with Michael Bisping. Yeah, that's true. And it seems like it's going to be a uh, a, a pretty good rivalry and a, kind of a fun one to follow along with beforehand. Uh, it's going to be like the same thing, basically, uh, with Jorge Rivera, where uh, you're just antagonizing the guy until maybe he does something illegal and crazy uh, in the fight. Uh, but hey, I mean, that worked to make that fight feel like a, a real like must-see bout. It's definitely going to work with Tim Kennedy and, and Michael Bisping. Um, plus, you know, Luke Rockhold's not going anywhere. No reason you can't do that fight at a later date, regardless of how this one goes. Yeah, I think you bring up good points, although it does sort of leave Luke Rockhold in the lurch. Uh, uh, Not necessarily that he had any right to a fight with Michael Bisping, but at the same time, you know, if the other guy that he wants to fight is Vitor Belfort and the UFC, for whatever unknown reason, would just is not going to back off of its opinion that it's just going to go ahead and let Vitor Belfort have the opportunity to become its middleweight champion, as horrible of an idea as that sounds. Like, who who do you think uh, makes sense as an, op- an opponent for for Luke Rockhold? Is, does he uh, uh, get the get the winner of the uh, the Machida? Who's Machida fighting? He's fighting. Uh, is he fighting Jacare? That's coming right up, right? Uh, no, Jacare is fighting uh, Francis Carmont, oh, I believe. Right, right. Uh, Frankie Carmont. Frankie Carmont. As he is known here in Montana. You know, uh, what about uh, Donald Clownboy Cerrone? Is he uh, is he doing anything? Man, you're just obsessed with this now. It's the idea that... <laughs> you, know, you got you got Machida and, and Musasi coming up there. Uh, you know, when you look at like the top, you know, seven or eight middleweights out there right now, there's so many different matchups that you can make. I mean, Luke Rockhold's probably going to end up in one of those situations where, you know, everybody wants to be fighting uh, up the ranks so that you get the most possible pop and the least possible, you know, drop uh, if, considering you lose. He's in one of those situations where that's probably not going to be possible for him, yeah. uh, at least for, for the next little while. You're probably going to have to fight somebody who's uh, ranked lower than you and take your chances there. Uh, unless, you know, you do the thing, where, which is not a bad strategy in the UFC these days, of just stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. And, uh, you know, keep your phone handy for when somebody gets hurt. You know, maybe Michael Bisping uh, uh, and Tim Kennedy, somebody gets hurt there. Uh, or, you know, the Jacare and Frankie Carmont. Um, which, by the way, I think, you know, you obviously have to wait and see that, how that one goes. But if there's anyone I'm most excited about to see how he can match up uh, it, with whoever in the top, you know, five of the middleweight division is Jacare. Sure. Yeah, like, he is the guy I think that has the most potential to be uh, a real breakout star this year for the UFC. Yeah. I think so, too. Here's where I got confused. Leota Machida against Sweet and Sassy Musasi. Young Vagabond. And, and Ronaldo Jacare Souza against Frankie Carmot, uh, or Frankie Cars, I think, as they would call him in Brooklyn. Uh, Wait, that's if you joined the Mafia, yeah, right? That's on the, those are on the same card. That's next month at uh, UFC Fight Night 36. So maybe uh, if one of those guys emerges as the number one contender for the winner of Belford and Weidman, maybe Luke Rocco gets the other one. I don't know. You know who you don't want to fight, though, if you're ranked higher than him, I think, is, is probably Frankie Carmont. Yeah. Because that's a dude who will just hold you down for 15 minutes and punch you in your face, and all of a sudden, all of your momentum has, has left you. No upside to fighting Frankie Cars at this point, because, yeah, he can do that thing to you where it's just a horrible goddamn fight, and he somehow wins a decision by pretty much like nullifying your offense and not doing much on his own. But even if you beat that guy, I mean, odds are then you'll probably beat him by, like, you know, a, a narrow decision. Um, but even if you like go out there and stop that dude, it'll mean something to the hardcore people who just wanted to see like 
an end to Frankie Carmont's uh, reign of boring, uh, but it, it just nowhere near enough benefit to outweigh the risk of a fight like that. You're right. totally right about that one. Well, we'll figure out what Luke Rockhold is going to do. But right now, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're going to invite him in, and he is going to lead us in another rendition of Master Tweet Theater. That starts right now. that time again we welcome back to the podcast friend of the show and noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock sir nigel how are you good day to you sir i am bright-tailed and bushy-eyed well i your your eyes do look bushier than normal i'll give you that uh as for the state of your tail i will not inquire um are you sure (laughs) for those of you don't know how this works sir nigel is going to read us off some tweets from some figures in the mma sphere chad and i are going to try and guess who the tweeters in question might be uh, and some of you will hate it, and some of you will love it and defend it fiercely, apparently. Uh, so, Sir Nigel, uh, I guess I should ask right off the top, is there a theme this week? Why, there is a theme, sir. I'm glad you asked. Me too. The theme is butching it up. Is what? Butching it up. Butching just it up. Using Twitter to be just a just a man and a, and a plan and a canal, possibly. <laughs> okay, well, I, I look forward to seeing this theme completely fall apart within two or three tweets. Yes, let us begin. Tweet the first. What do love and gravity have in common? They're both based on the law of attraction at their root. That actually sounds like it's intended to be serious. I thought it was a joke from the very first phrasing. We all hoped it would be, sir, when we read it. You know, uh, we received some criticism recently. Oh, no. Emailed to the podcast saying that, uh, basically accusing us of being point fighters and saying that we had ruined Master Tweet Theater by playing it too safe. By being accurate, you mean? I believe this. Because it's like a right or wrong kind of scenario. I'm just, hey, I'm just saying what they said. I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying this was, this was the criticism that we recently received. This is your preface to guessing Matt Mitrione, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, what... Where does this leave you, I guess, if you, since you brought that up? Well, I'd like to hear the tweet one more time. <clears throat> what do love and gravity have in common? They're both based on the law of attraction at their root. Boy, you know, that, that could almost be anybody. Uh, I guess I'm going to go with uh, noted MMA uh, public address announcer and uh, lover, Bruce Buffer. Lover? Wow. Uh I am going to go the, – the law of attraction stuff, that sounds like the Oprah secret crap, uh, which just screams ring girl to me. Um, but I am going to go – I'm going to zig instead of zag, and I'm going to say it's Brittany Palmer. Hmm. Okay. Both fine guesses. Both lovers of loving love and both wrong. It is Randy Couture. Oh, damn it. God damn it. Just butching it up because, you know, I mean, what are you going to say to him? He has a theory about the law of attraction. Shut up or he'll punch you in the neck. <laughs> well, and as we know from his many wives, Randy Couture, a lots of experience in the love department. Yes, it's all based on attraction at its root. That's why. <laughs> Go figure. So he marry your second stripper. Okay. <clears throat> Tweet the second. So pumped for Patriots versus Broncos. This is like a heavyweight title fight. Dana White. 
Yeah, that that actually is Dana White. And I think we need to point out here that that we should all be pleased that the Patriots actually lost this game last week because Dana White doesn't need that stress, man. He doesn't need the stress of two weeks building up to the Patriots appearing in the Super Bowl and then the the eight to ten hours it's going to take for them to actually play in the game. So like I like I feel pretty positive about the the Patriots bowing out in the AFC Championship round. Also because I think we all know if they were in the Super Bowl, Dana White would probably just use up the exclamation points for everyone uh, that remain on Earth. How kind of you to be concerned about Dana White's stress levels? Just I'm worried about his health sometimes. Yeah. At times yeah. he does the work of of a dozen men. <laughs> It is, in fact, Dana White. And I would also like to point out that if the AFC Championship is like a heavyweight title fight, what is the Super Bowl like? Is that like two heavyweight fighters murdering each other? <laughs> Super Hulk tourney? Super Hulk. Okay, there we go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tweet the third. Soon the world will see why I left the You Fight Cheap and join Viacom, Spike TV, TNA, and Bellator. Say what you want. Haters will be blocked. One love. <laughs> okay, first of all, that's Rampage Jackson. Second of all, I remember reading the tweet when he sent it out, uh, but when you read it, it sounds so much more like a, a diabolical plan, like a movie villain uh, vowing revenge upon everyone. Like, soon the world will see. Wow. First, first you get the Spike deal, then you get the women. It, it, it all makes sense. Yeah, no, that that is Rampage Jackson, the fighter who just today, in fact, vacated his Bell, uh, Bellator cruiserweight title to <laughs> enter the next season's light heavyweight tournament. Yeah, haters will be blocked. He can do it. He can just block you. <laughs> Take that, haters. <clears throat> tweet the fourth. This is a, a baffling tweet that will require explanation, but let's just go ahead. Just saw Jack Ryan. Moi, moi. Smiley face where the mouth line is just completely flat. What what was the sound you made before that? Moi, moi, M-W-A-H, sir. Which in the theater we have always pronounced moi. But I assume he meant like moi, moi. But hard to okay. say. Okay. Uh, huh. One more time. Just saw Jack Ryan. Moi, moi. Smiley face with perfectly straight mouth so not a smiley face right it's it's a colon a hyphen and then that vertical slash mark that only exists on a computer keyboard okay um i again i'm gonna say that this is not this is where the theme has completely fallen apart well this is not very butch it's kind of an ironic theme yeah well so therefore then you anything anything could absolutely apply here butch or not butch um you know in keeping with uh since Sir, Sir Nigel's obviously going to the well with a bunch of his favorites here, I'm going to say this one is Rich Franklin. Oh, that's that's a good guess. Um, I guess I am going to go with actual soldier Tim Kennedy, who may have thought that the portrayal of the CIA's Jack Ryan was not believable. Because he's a fan of the books, probably. Yeah, he's, well, he's a big Clancy guy, I can yeah, only assume. You're right. And because nothing really happened, right? Just another boring story about people talking. No, both fine guesses, both grounded in test-taking strategy, but this is Alistair Overeem. Okay, well, he's, he's a European, so maybe that, maybe that means something different over there. Yeah, like at no point did Jack Ryan dance in a discotheque or do anything <laughs> truly masculine. Complete lack of horse meat. No adventure at all. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth, and I think this one will butch it up at the end. 
at the SHOT Show, checking out Fort Knox safes. Pretty bitchin'. Okay, I'm going to say that's Tim Kennedy. Yeah, I bet that is Tim Kennedy. I know that he did attend the SHOT Show with what the Bleacher, fuck is that? Bleacher yeah, Report's what is Jeremy Botter. I believe it's a, like a gun uh, show in oh. Texas, maybe, or Las Vegas. But Probably the Las Vegas. gun is too fancy for them, so now it's just like, the bang thang. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I guess Tim Kennedy sure again? Twice can. in a row? Tim Kennedy. MMA. Both, both fine guesses, both similar and kind of lazy. No, it is Dan Henderson. Oh, Dan Hendo Hen- at the SHOT Show. Checking out Fort Knox safes. SHOT Show. Pretty bitchin'. <laughs> okay, yeah, the pretty bitchin'. And now I can, I can just almost hear Dan Henderson saying the words pretty bitchin' about a lot of things, really. Yeah, grudgingly, but with respect. <laughs> Well, mercifully, that wraps up another edition of Master Tweet Theater. Sir Nigel, what do you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. Yes. I've just completed shooting on an unexciting film about an independent 18th century young woman who falls in love with a country gentleman whom only she can see. What's it called? It's called The Sixth Sense and Sensibility. (laughs) And what role do you play? I play the ghost of Mr. Darcy's grandmother. (laughs) And do a fine job, I'm sure. Well, that, years <laughs> that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Niggas ready to slide, I'm passing the side. Getting high to get by, let me ride. Let a nigga live, not ready to die. But I'm touching the sky, but I'm touching the sky. And my niggas ready to slide, I'm passing the side. Well, Chad, it seems that in his semi-retirement slash stepping away period, former UFC welterweight champion George St. Pierre has gone from being the company man who will show up in a suit and tie and play it nice and safe in press conferences and the fights to being, at least for him, a bit of a firebrand. Came out uh, last week saying that uh, drug testing and the lack of effective drug testing, the use of performance-enhancing drugs in the sport is a huge problem. One of the reasons why he stopped, blamed the UFC for not doing enough, uh, saying we can all see the direction that it's going, and, and it's one of the things that soured him on the sport, which, of course, for every reaction, there is a foaming Dana White reaction, which, of course, we got at the UFC Fight Night 35 post-fight press conference where Dana White referred to those comments as kooky. Kooky, yes. So kooky comments about performance-enhancing drug use in MMA. What do you make of that? Um, well, I mean, it just I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it always strikes me as weird that for 13 years now, every single person with any clout whatsoever who's ever criticized the UFC is a kook or a scumbag or somehow not a man. And I would think that at some point we all would have to notice the common denominator in all of those situations. Uh, and it's not George St. Pierre, right? It's the other guy. It is the other guy. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I guess you, you can't, uh, you can't take away how insanely successful Dana White has been. And by extension, uh, how insanely successful the UFC has been. Uh, but at, at this point I, I start to wonder, uh, if, you know, some years from now, if if Dana White and or the UFC uh, 
experiences some hard times or falls from grace in some manner, if we'll look back on the George St. Pierre situation as the moment where, or at least one sort of like title shift moment where people started to look at, at, at him kind of uh, going off on these, these tirades that he has. And where we started to think like, man, how can he say that about this guy? Right. Like, how can he hang this guy out to dry? Because, you know, even though George St. Pierre in this instance said some things that Dana White didn't like about drug testing, uh, for years and years, George St. Pierre was the best, most loyal and one of the most popular soldiers that this guy had. Like, right. And he would say as much at every opportunity how what a great guy George St. Pierre was for your business. How you never had to worry about him, how you could really just hang your hat on that guy. Uh, and, but, you know, it's I think with the drug testing stuff, there is some. Some of the points that Dana White made in his response to George St. Pierre, I think, are valid. That it seems like now George is really willing to paint himself as like, well, I was this crusader looking for change and people weren't ready for change and I was disappointed and so I walked away. And it's like, well, I don't know, man. I mean, you did, you were pushing for that a little bit in your career. You wanted people to do VADA testing with you, but then when they wouldn't do that and, and wanted to do something else, you never took them up on that opportunity. It seemed like you were pushing VADA rather than just pushing for better increased drug testing. Um, and also that you didn't really become that terribly interested in it until toward the end. And then, you know, now you make these comments once you have kind of a safe distance rather than when you're in the UFC and when you are the champion and have, you know, maybe a little more clout, but still, okay. Uh, you know, obviously he's pushing for a cause near and dear to my heart. So more power to him, but it seems like, you know, it's not even just this as a situation where hanging him out to dry. I mean, you look at Dana White's reaction right after uh, the Johnny Hendricks fight where he made his comments about wanting to step away in the cage. I mean, that one to me was the far more indefensible Dana White reaction because it was, we I don't know what that guy just said in there. And instead of talking to him to figure out what he meant uh, when he said all that, I'm just going to get up here and yell about him right now. Just take his body and throw it straight under the bus. Uh, right. Before I even have any clue exactly what we're talking about. That was the one where if you were George St. Pierre then trying to figure out how you should play your whole feeling about the UFC not supporting enhanced drug testing, you see that and you think, oh, okay, well, so fuck it then. Like, the, no matter what I do, uh, you know, if I had the least little thing that, that displeases the UFC, I'm going to get torched. So, sh shit, I might as well just tell it like I see it now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like you, you make a good point in, in defense of Dana White, especially since that guy's entire life must feel like every day he wakes up to someone talking shit about the thing that he does without the same sort of frame of reference that he has. Uh, and that must be just irritating. Uh, and I guess at this point, even though there are a lot of situations where uh, Dana White, I think, is a lot more calculated than people give him credit for, I think you also have to give him credit for at least being honest about the way that he feels, because uh, if even if this isn't the smartest move, he he is willing to tell you how what he feels about George St. Pierre and, and John Jones and, and Anderson Silva and the, the rest of his biggest draws. Like, even though that on the surface might not seem like the smartest business move, like at least he'll tell us, I guess, which which is, if nothing else, more entertaining than someone who would come out and read from a press release like Roger Goodell or or, you know, David Stern or somebody else in that position. Um, did you feel, though, like this uh George St. Pierre's outburst made it feel more like he's not coming back. Yeah, well, and especially after seeing Dana White's reaction, which you kind of had a, a sense was 
coming. You know, Dana White's never been one to back down from stuff like that. It does seem like uh, at least he was willing to take the risk that he would burn that bridge, make it difficult for him to come back. I mean, I think it'd be a lot easier to convince like Dana White to let bygones be bygones because, hey, man. He's a, he's a businessman. We've seen that before. Like, he can talk all kinds of shit about you, but if he thinks that there's money to be made there in a relationship with you, uh, you know, you'll work around it. Uh, George seems like the guy who's a, a lot less likely to do that, like that he might actually take to heart things that you say about him. Uh, and if he doesn't need the money and doesn't particularly feel compelled to come back, that, you know, he might leave that one alone, uh, especially if their relationship looks like it's it's strained. I mean, what do you make, though, of, like, now having a guy like, like GSP who seems like, you know, he could be that lead-by-example kind of dude. I mean, again, I wish he'd done it when he was still fighting, but he could really be that guy who, who pushes for some serious change or, or even rallies guys around a fighter's union if that's the direction he chooses to take it. And for him to, to seize upon the, the drug testing issue, which is an issue. I mean, I don't care what Dana White says about the government and the state athletic commissions. Anytime you know exactly when you're going to be tested, uh, that's not good drug testing. So, I mean, do you think that this is the start of something or is this just a beef between one George St. Pierre and one Dana White? I always think it's interesting to hear what guys have to say the moment that they get clear of the UFC. Because this is not the first time that has happened. We've no. seen guys in much lower profile situations like John Cholish, uh, as, you know, as soon as they're no longer, uh, beholden to the UFC in any way, that they start to say a lot, uh, things that at least strike you as being a lot more honest than the things that they said when they were worried, uh, as George St. Pierre, I believe, referenced in this, in this interview that they were going to be punished because the, there's only one really big time employer in the mixed martial arts industry. Which loves to punish people, loves to come down hard on people who don't the line. Right. And I think that the thing uh, th- that re- was really striking about these comments is is what I referenced a few minutes ago. And that's what that it was this guy making these statements, a guy who, you know, for for a decade or more is a guy who would uh, more than happily fall on his sword for the UFC time and time again. And a guy who even as you said, Dana White uh, sometimes said if he had 500 guys like George St. Pierre, he'd be a much happier, you know, much healthier guy because he wouldn't have to worry about them getting in trouble or causing issues for him. So for me, George St. Pierre to come out and say this stuff about drug testing, especially in a situation where I don't know what he would have to gain by lying to us. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he certainly kind of like f- phrased it in the way that reflected most positively on him. But at the same time, like what what would he have to gain by distorting the situation really right and it's not as if he were run out of the top spot like by getting his ass kicked and then saying like well it was because they're all juiced up and I'm not like you know he went out on a win uh you can argue that he didn't deserve to win that one but it was a close fight and and you know Johnny Hendricks isn't one of those guys who people are are really concerned that he is on on PEDs so it's not as if like he's it's sour grapes and he's trying to explain like a, a fall off in his performance or something like that. You know, it does make you think that that is a real concern that he has just from being around the sport and seeing what other guys are doing. Uh, and you know, it's, and it's not even just the illegal performance enhancing drugs. It's stuff like testosterone where you can see how a fighter could look around at that landscape and see, like he said, the direction we're going and feel like, you know, the the insidious effect that that has on the entire sport is that people see, okay, if that's what it takes to 
compete with these guys, then dudes who don't even want to do it uh, end up feeling pressured to do it. And that is such a bad thing all around, and especially a bad thing in a sport where dudes are smacking each other upside the damn head. So I can understand how he, he sees that, but I, I like you said, it's hard to think, to, to look at that and see what's the, the selfish ulterior motive that this guy has here. Like, he doesn't really seem to have one. It did seem like, you know, maybe you could take issue with some of the phrasing or the timing of it and everything, but obviously this is a point he really believes in, and I, I, don't, I don't think you can disagree with him on too much of this stuff. Yeah, and I've been surprised by some of the criticism because I, you know, when I first read the comments, I thought this was a George St. Pierre that we could all get behind. Uh, but there has been some criticism. I guess anytime you speak your mind like that, there's probably always going to be some criticism. You mentioned uh, Johnny Hendricks is not necessarily a guy that we suspect a great deal of being on uh, performance-enhancing drugs, which I agree with. At the same time, though, uh, when I read these comments, I felt like maybe there was an unspoken indictment of Johnny Hendricks being made here just in the way that George St. Pierre framed raised a lot of these uh a lot of these quotes and obviously we're dealing with the translation here so uh we're getting this kind of second hand but well, he did it in french and english did he yeah oh i thought we there had, were some english comments translation yeah. uh well, some of a lot of it what we've been hearing the choice bits have been translated do you do you think that that it's reading too much into these comments then to think that this is sort of reads as an indictment of johnny Hendricks when he says stuff like you know you have to remember that uh, you know i'm a sportsman or whatever he said that i have inside information you know i didn't read it that way and especially the like the way that whole let's do supplemental drug testing i want to do mine you want to do yours kind of thing worked out like I mean, you can maybe crack on Johnny Hendricks for not knowing uh, exactly what WADA is and stuff like that, but that's kind of an understandable thing uh, since there are so many of those acronyms. Uh, but it did, like that one, I think, and people who gave George a lot of leeway in that saying like, oh, he said he would do uh, the, the, the NSAC's version of supplemental drug testing, but they also kind of said like, Oh, hey, the lawyer's going on uh, vacation for 10 days. We'll talk about it when we get back, which is not what you want to hear. If you're trying to set up a supplemental, random, out-of-competition drug testing program months out from a fight, it's troubling to hear you know, one of the guy's representatives say, I would like to delay any further conversation about this for a week and a half, uh, and then we'll revisit it. I mean, you want to get that stuff started right away. So I do think that, you know... There was this back and forth where it seemed like at the time, at least, like now he's trying to paint it like, hey, I was the one pushing for this change and people wouldn't do it. People weren't ready to support me. Uh, and so I was disappointed. At the time, it seemed like, hey, I want to do my thing because um, this is these are the people I've decided to, to deal with and, and these are the people I'm comfortable with. And then the other guy could understandably say, like, I don't know if I want to be tested by your buddies in this situation. Uh, I, want, I want these other people. And then nobody could really agree, and so it just seemed like, okay, supplemental drug testing is never going to get off the ground. It's just going to be a way to kind of, like, subtly accuse your opponent of something or to put him, like, on the defensive in those situations, which I think is a shame because we do need something like that, some kind of you know, independent body that's not the UFC, that's better funded than state athletic commissions to come in there and do some serious testing and not just, you know, fight night testing or, hey, pee in a cup on this date that you had circled on the calendar for three months. Uh, and then if you're clean, you know, hey, no problem. We, we do need something like that. But I just don't feel like for a lot of those reasons that we have that yet. Well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we will move on to round number three uh, this week. Ben, what's what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? this week? Well, Jed, as I know, you're aware. Uh, voice of the Octagon, Bruce Buffer, uh, is supposedly working on an MMA video game entitled, get this, 
MMA Federation. Got it. Uh, for which he is. I mean, I don't have it, but I understand no, what you're no, saying. No, uh, he, he is seeking funding for this MMA Federation via Kickstarter. Apparently, the buff hopes to raise about 165 grand uh, for a game that sounds pretty much exactly like all the other MMA video games, except it's for your phone instead of like a video game console. So therefore, you know, shittier. Um, by all means, though, hey, if, if Buffer wants to throw his weight behind this business venture, he's free to do so. We wish him all the best. But man, a Kickstarter? Seriously? He wants the people to fund this nonsense, his video game, while he jets around, showing up on TV all over the world, looking like Liberace's valet in his velvet tuxedos. How do you know that you're not going to give Bruce Buffer some money and he's just going to blow it all on pocket squares and skin bronzer, man? You fucking kidding me, Bruce Buffer? Are you fucking kidding fucking me? Fucking video game Kickstarter. That doesn't really seem like what Kickstarter's for. No. Uh, no, it's not. Anyway, the band this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me, goes out to the MMA community at large for what oh, wow. appears to be just an inexhaustible interest and uh, and delight over the idea that a guy might have shit himself <laughs> during an MMA fight, uh, which we saw this past week in in, in uh, Yoel Romero's fight against Derek Brunson on that uh, rock hold against Philippou card. Uh, my understanding is that nobody indeed did shit themselves. However, the uh, topic came up, and then it was all we could talk about for like two days. And I know that like, haha, scatological humor, this dude might have shit himself. That's funny. <laughs> but let's try to get over it in like a, a few minutes. And if not a few minutes, maybe a day. Maybe we don't have to still be talking about it like three days later. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding. You know the worst part about stuff like that is the position. All, all of it? I'm all, just say all of it? The position it puts those of us in the media in because, you know, like when uh, maybe somebody farted during the John Howard Sierra Botarizada fight and it's like, oh, Jesus, do I have to write a story about this now? And, of course, the people who care about the clicks on the website are like, yes, you do, and I die a little inside. Fucking kidding me? Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. All the niggas I'm with, been through a lot, boy. I'm a block boy, straight up, I'm a top boy. And all the niggas I'm with, been through a lot, boy. I'm a block boy, straight up, I'm a top boy. And all the niggas I'm with, been through a lot, boy. I'm a block boy, straight up, I'm a top boy. And all the niggas I'm with, been through a lot, boy. I'm a block boy, straight up, I'm a top boy. When you enter my section, Well, Ben, uh, UFC on Fox 10 comes our way. This Saturday night from the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. I'll be in the house. I know you're going to be there. Any CME listeners off in Chi-Town, holla at your boy. Maybe you guys can go eat hot dogs or whatever yeah. at that uh, famous hot dog stand. Or just buy me a drink. <laughs> no, just I, buy it, set it on my just, table, and walk away. Just take him out for hot dogs. I think that's really what he wants. We've we got a main event here, Benson Henderson against Josh Thompson. I know that you and I both talked to Josh Thompson this week for uh, stories we've done or, or are doing for our respective uh, uh, employers. Uh, Josh Thompson's a real chatterbox when He's you get him on the phone. He's kind of a breath of fresh air, yeah. to be honest with you, compared to how it is to interview uh, some MMA fighters. Uh, and pretty much to everyone he's talked to leading up to this fight, 
He's talked about what a terrible experience trying to get ready for this fight uh, has been because he was supposed to fight Anthony Pettis about a month ago, and then Anthony Pettis got injured. So uh, uh, Josh Thompson, who was about five weeks into his training camp already, shut things down for a week or two, uh, and then they signed him to this Ben Henderson fight, and he went straight back into training camp, uh, told me that he didn't realize how far away from the fight they were still, so that he essentially has done about two training camps back-to-back, one of them through the holidays, when there was no one hanging around the gym to train with him. Right. Uh, what does all this boil down to? Obviously, we I think it's uh, refreshing for Josh Thompson to maybe be this honest about it if you don't think that it's just gamesmanship. Uh, what does this boil down to? Do you think that... Uh, uh, if you were a if you were a sharp if you're if you're going to lay some money down on this fight, would you be worried about Josh Thompson at this point? No, especially with as much experience as that guy's got, I don't think you know. Even if it's not a great training camp, I don't think that that's going to be the difference maker. As long as it's not like a bad training camp in the sense that like you know you're not in shape, like you don't have the cardio to to really go into the deep rounds, which you're probably going to need against a guy like Benson Henderson. Uh, you know, I I can believe that. You could have kind of a shitty experience throughout training camp, but as long as you are physically ready and you're not like injured and 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 not debilitated in any way by the experience, then you'll still you'll still be more or less fine. And he, as he kept pointing out, he said that one of the previous worst training camps he's had was before he fought Gilbert Melendez the first time. Fought pretty well in that one. Yeah, especially since Josh Thompson is also a dude that has uh, withstood so much other adversity in his career. He's right. a guy who missed a ton of time uh, with injuries and stuff like that, and a guy guy who spent a lot of time away from the UFC fighting in strike force and has now uh, come back uh, and, and got the win over, over Nate Diaz to put himself in this position. It do, he doesn't seem like the kind of dude uh, uh, who's going to be mentally shook by any of this or, or really the kind of dude that's going to, uh, honestly let his his own physical preparation be uh, uh, affected by any of this stuff. I would think that he's probably going to give it his best effort out there on Saturday night. It's kind of funny, actually, how this kind of stuff uh, changes our perceptions because if if Josh Thompson had, had lied, just lied to us and said that he had had the greatest training camp of his life... Best shape of my life. We might be sitting Never here better. right now questioning Ben Henderson's decision to go and get married uh, during this training camp, which... Uh, uh, he did. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just weird. I feel like there's stuff we could always pick on anybody uh, uh, for for doing during their training camps. But for my money, I thought it was pretty cool that Josh Thompson decided to to take this uh, this track with, with his pre-fight media obligations and yeah. kind of tell us what actually happened. Well, and I think like one of the things that he brought up when I was talking to him about it is that there's really, like, if that's the truth of what happened, like, it's not like you gain really much by lying and saying best training camp ever or had an awesome time, you know, can't wait to do it again kind of thing. Because what, like, what what's the worst that's going to happen? Your opponent's going to see that in interviews, like, that you had a bad training camp and be like, okay, I'll surely beat him now. Like, as Thompson pointed out accurately, I think that dude should already be thinking that and probably is because he is a professional fighter. So he's probably pretty damn confident. It's not like you're really giving your opponent anything. If, if anything, you might be messing with his mind because he's sitting around wondering, wait, did he really have a bad training camp or is he just fucking with me? So yeah, there's not a whole lot of reasons not to do it unless, you know, fans jump on it and think, Oh, he's making excuses beforehand. But as Josh Thompson also pointed out, everybody says best training camp beforehand. And then if they lose, then you hear about the, four staff infections they had and the split cranium and the pile of trash neck and all that other stuff. Uh, so, 
yeah, I, I, it is refreshing. I also think, though, this is one of those fights where, just for the sake of the lightweight division uh, in the UFC, keeping things moving forward in an interesting fashion, you're kind of hoping Josh Thompson wins, aren't you? Because if Benson Henderson wins, then you're right back kind of where you were before. Uh, Josh Thompson, at least, is some new blood there, or am I alone? No, I mean I think that that's probably the 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 hope if if you if you're interested in new stuff happening or any stuff happening really uh just because uh, well, I think no matter who wins, you're kind of going to have a mess on your hands anyway. Ben Benson Henderson has all also had sort of a roundabout journey to this fight. He was supposed to fight T.J. Grant uh, way back at UFC 164 when he was still the champ. Uh, unfortunately, Grant was had to pull out of that fight with an injury, so they boosted Anthony Pettis in. And Grant's as, still not doing it. As we all know, Anthony Pettis beat Benson Henderson, won the title. Then he himself hurt his knee. T.J. Grant is still out with a concussion, and so uh, you know we, we, we've kind of wound our way around to, into this Ben Henderson, Josh Thompson fight. And like you said, it's hard to know if Henderson wins, if he could be fast forwarded straight back into another shot at Anthony Pettis when he's healthy. Whereas if Thompson wins, he's pretty much the clear cut number one contender. Unless, well, unless TJ Grant returns from his concussion, at which case, man, I don't even know what you do. Yeah. Well, when I asked Thompson about that, if he was confident that, he would get a title shot with a win here, uh, and if he would get it, you know, in the next year, um, he freely admitted that no, he he did probably did not think that was going to happen. That he thought Pettis would be out long enough that he, you know, if he's out another six months, that he will probably take another fight, especially if the UFC wants him to. Um, since hey man, dude's got to get paid, so it does seem like if, if trying to sell this one to me as winner gets the the next title shot, I think we've seen the way things go in the UFC lightweight division enough recently to know that that's more a hopeful guess than it is a guarantee still an interesting fight though yeah especially if tj grant comes back uh he he i guess the winner of this probably ends up fighting him if he's healthy and ready to go and anthony pettis is is uh still out mending his knee uh i haven't looked at the odds of this fight but i assume that that josh thompson is probably uh the underdog uh what, what chance do we give him at honestly pulling off the upset here uh against a guy like ben henderson who seems incredibly well-rounded and was the the previous champion for a fair amount of time but at the same time doesn't necessarily feel like he goes out there and stops anybody he kind of goes out there and grinds out a decision right odds i'm looking at uh, right now have josh thompson at plus 220 as the underdog and uh, benson henderson at, at minus 280 i don't know i think josh thompson has a pretty good chance here because uh for one thing i wonder what uh, benson henderson's head is like after that that anthony pettis loss uh, that one was different than the first one where it was a back and forth fight and uh, he just didn't come up big in the moment when he needed to. And that one, you know, his whole strategy got shut down and then he got submitted. So, you know, that, that one gonna, could, could shake a guy. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, Josh Thompson has a pretty good chance to win this fight. Uh, especially if you can, you know, get after a guy like Benson Henderson early, not let him get that, that strategy going. Cause you know what he's gonna try and do is, you know, play the clinch game, takedowns, keep it close, and then try and win the last minute of the round. Uh, and it's been a good strategy for him. But uh, I think enough guys have seen that from him now that uh, if you're expecting it, and if you're a little bit more of a dynamic guy like Josh Thompson can be when, he, when he's really feeling it, uh, I think you can take advantage of that. All right, well, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, this week, my Just Saying Stuff harkens back to the same fight that I talked about during Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And that's just because I'm just saying, I don't know if Yoel Romero is a good MMA fighter, 
I don't know if he's going to be the champ, but right now, I'd have to say Yoel Romero, the soldier of God, the 36-year-old Cuban with the crazy beard, is my favorite weird MMA fighter. And I think that that's because you don't know exactly what he's going to do when he goes out there, but you know it's going to be weird. You know he's going to get beat up. Uh, by his opponent, maybe for like three rounds. And he, and even when he's getting just cold cocked right in the face, he's going to be putting his arm up in the air. Yeah. Making funny faces. Acting like a maniac. And then in the last round, he's going to TKO the other guy with maybe illegal elbows to the body. I don't know. And then he's going to jump on the mic and just act terrifying and talk about how God has blessed the entire nation of the United States. That's weird. Like I said, I think he's a little inexperienced. I think he's a little long in the tooth. I don't know what the ceiling is, but I'm just saying, Yoel Romero, that's my guy. <laughs> that's your guy now, Yoel that's Romero. My guy. Okay. Well, you know, by the way, about those illegal, possibly illegal elbows. Oh, Jesus Christ! I know. I, sh- I knew I shouldn't have mentioned that. I went back and watched the replay, watched the gifts over and over again. Impossible to determine whether those are illegal. Nobody knows what are illegal elbows and what aren't, dude. It's a totally unenforceable rule. It is. It, it, the fact that you can't even come close to deciding. For sure, either way, that tells you something. This week, Chad, I'm just saying, uh, we alluded to it earlier, uh, but, uh, you know, Bellator had some big news this week, and one uh, of the, the pieces of news is that their, their next four-man light heavyweight tournament is going to feature Rampage Jackson and Mola Wall, although on opposite sides of the bracket. Hey, is this... Is this Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Are we doing Are we doing Are You Fucking Kidding Me right now? I'm just saying, has Bellator learned nothing about what happens when you tempt the MMA gods? Because clearly, you're looking at this tournament, you're hoping that Paige and King Mo both win their opening round bouts, end up meeting in the tournament final, but now you basically guarantee that that won't happen. Because uh, what do the MMA gods love doing more than almost anything? It's fucking with a tournament. That's what. Look at the Strike Force Grand Prix. Or, you know, Pride, they knew the score up on Mount Zions, which is why they wouldn't announce the next round of fights until they saw how the first round turned out. So I'm just saying, Bellator, the fuck are you begging for Christian Mapumbu and Mikhail Zayats to both step in and just ruin your party here? Because trust me, if that's what you want, the MMA gods hear you loud and clear. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yeah, that's not happening. They're not getting that final. One of those guys is getting hurt. One of them will get hurt, and the other one will probably lose. Yeah, so we're looking at uh, Zayat's Mapumbu. Nailed it. Heavyweight Nailed it. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to tell you what happened at UFC on Fox 10, and if either King Mo or Rampage Jackson has come up lame with an injury yet. As for right now, we're done. We are through. We are out. With for Rampage though, if he gets injured, he can always just go back to the cruiserweight division. Because even though he's in this light heavyweight tournament, as far as I know, the cruiserweight division is still on notice. Yeah, his notice doesn't just evaporate. No, the, that that notice uh, extends indefinitely. Well, I think the other thing we can say for sure is that if.